This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Recovery Revolution Live. <laughs> you got Brett's music. Oh, yeah. I, dude, that was a seamless intro. I did good this time. I like the music. We had to go through several. <laughs> did you? We found one, yes. I like yeah. that. It's got a good vibe to it. Oh, yeah. Upbeat, ready to rock. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Recovery Revolution, baby. There you go. Jeff Johnston is our guest tonight. What's up, Jeff? Oh, man, I'm, uh, I pinch myself every day. I'll fortune him to be able to continue this journey, the, what I've kind of been, you know, thrust into six years ago and just honored to have this opportunity to, you know, try to try to help people make better choices, navigate through all the obstacles that are out there and uh, hopefully Hopefully the story I share, people can find a nugget of wisdom or they can relate to it some level that we can start to change lives. Absolutely, man. So for those of you who don't know, Jeff, I'm guilty. Didn't know until earlier this week about Jeff. Uh, Jeff is what you would call a mover and a shaker for sure. He is the author of a book called This One's For You, An Inspirational Journey Through Addiction, Death, and Meaning. He's also a family man. He's Jeff and his beautiful family. He's a podcast host with the Living Undeterred podcast. And man, what, what a treat to have you here. I, I love people that not only find purpose, but find multiple ways to try to fulfill it. And, uh, you know, when you're doing that sort of thing, you're really putting yourself in a unique position to help a large amount of people, right? Because you're hitting them from different angles. Like some people like to read, some people yeah. like podcasts, you know? So how's it going? And uh, thanks for being here, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really excited. And again, I want to thank Ashley. It's um, just an honor to be able to to meet people on this journey that really are movers and shakers and that are active and um, are engaged and are advocates. And so I met Ashley, mm-hmm. reached out to her. We had a great conversation and now I'm here. So this is the beauty of cooperation and collaboration. And unfortunately, the the mental health industry, as I found out when I first got into it six years ago, was very siloed very agenda driven, very, I'm right. You're wrong. 12 steps is the only way. Abstinence is the only way. Um, you know, God is the only way. I mean, it seemed to be, there always was something that was the only way, but then all the statistics said everyone's worse than they were a decade ago. So if that's the only way we're in big trouble. So the reality is there's gotta be multiple pathways to recovery. There's gotta be multiple pathways to trauma and grief and, you know, just having a very good, experience with your lived experience and we get one shot at this you know why not try to make it our best you know amen brother you know different strokes for different folks right and uh, everybody's unique sorry what i was talking to someone about that today i was like multiple pathways multiple i'm like everyone says that they embrace multiple pathways but then when you get really get down into it they embrace multiple pathways in an introductory level but they're not really integrating them in 
in everything they do. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to say from now on, my pathway is connection. And mm. I'm, that's my pathway. I only have one. And that's what it is. You know, Johan Harry said in his TED talk uh, that the opposite of addiction was connection. And I, I've been using that and also vulnerability. I think there's, there's something about the, the benefits of being vulnerable. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way. I mean that in a, in a selfless way that in sharing whatever story you have, uh, that it gives people that hear your story permission that it's okay for them to share their story. And so I've gone from meeting a stranger you know, like on our tour last summer, meeting someone at a campsite. And within five minutes, I swear to you at five minutes, I'm hugging them. We're crying together. And sometimes these are like two grown men that, you know, don't know each other. And that is, there's something, there's, there's no medicine. There's no pharmaceutical, there's no diagnosis or label that can, can, can be better than that. And so that's something that's free, doesn't cost anything. And it actually can have a great ripple effect throughout society. And so that's, that's kind of where my starting point is starting with the things that are, that are easy and available and free. And then we can build from there. Mm. Well, and I think we should talk, let, you know, let you tell a little bit about, you talked about your tour and by the way, Jason, he stopped at McShin and met our friends, mm -hmm. John and honesty. going back, going back. Oh, you're going back. Yep. Just, awesome. talked, just talked to honesty yesterday and we're coming back on October 13th. Yep. We're all big uh. honesty fans. She was on a couple months ago. It's probably yeah, she's a sweetheart. More now. Yeah, she's the best. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to share share the story. Um, so I guess just to kind of be put it in context, you know, five or six years ago, I think six years ago, um, at that point I was 50. I had started an investment company and was 23, you know, I had built it up to um, you know, assets under management that were larger than most banks around here. Uh, and I basically am telling you this to put it, everything in context. So the rest of what follows, you can see, um, you know, how difficult this has been for me. Mm. And so I sat there at 50, you know, pat myself on the back, you know, 23 started this company, never really had a boss. I've always worked for myself, you know, failed, got up, failed, got up. And finally I kind of sat there going, okay, I've done it. You know, I've, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be married, have the kids, you know, be successful. And, you know, like life, always does when you think you got it all figured out, you know, boom. <laughs> and, um, my life changed October 4th, 2016. So that photograph you put up there, um, my oldest son, uh, I got the call that he died. He was dead and he overdosed from uh, fentanyl that was in his heroin. And so in other words, he was poisoned. He was murdered. Oh my God. And, yeah. That's my son, Seth, right there. Our son. Um, and Seth, uh, Seth was like any other kid. He was a great kid. He was a good basketball player, loved Michael Jordan. He was, um, artistic. He played guitar. Um, but he had attention deficit. Like I do, like Ashley does, like you do, like every human I know has attention deficit. It's some have a high level, some have very low level, but we all have some type of, uh, inability to focus at times. And that's just what makes us human. It doesn't make it a disorder. And so I took Seth to see a doctor. And the doctor said, oh, guess what? Your son has attention deficit disorder. Here's a pill called Adderall. Mm. That, was, that started everything. It started, I'm not blaming Adderall or the doctors. I, ultimately, it was my, it was on my, my watch. Um, but, you know, uh, Seth was not a good candidate for Adderall. And he abused it, started selling it, and um, got into marijuana, alcohol, all the stuff that's, that happens, and um, was incarcerated for drunk driving and breaking and entering. And then he got introduced to cocaine. That led to prison. 
and he got released. And within two months, um, after I would not let him move back into my house, um, he was found dead in a hotel room, uh, needle in his arm slumped over in a chair. Yeah. So my life, my life just all of a sudden just, just paused and stopped. And the way I like to frame this guys is that death entered my life to make me a better man, not a bitter man. Now that sounds dramatic, right? But yeah, it was, it is beautiful. And, And that was my mindset initially. And, um, when I had to tell my boys that their older brother was dead, uh, you can imagine how that conversation went. And, um, telling my wife was the, the, the single worst moment of my life, other than the actual moment they found out Seth was dead. Um, but I sat my boys down on the couch that day and I thought to myself, you know, the next things I say out, out of my mouth are going to frame and dictate the quality of the rest of the life of our family. My wife's over to the right. She's, she's just a freaking mess. My two boys are on the couch and I said, boys, I got some really bad news. Um, your brother, Seth, he's dead. And they're 15 and 13. So that's Roman on the bottom. And that's Ian. Um, that's my middle son. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they looked up to Seth. They, they knew the problems we were having. They heard the arguments and they saw the fighting and they knew his brother was in rehab. And, um, <sighs> and so they knew. And so the first thing my, my middle son, Ian says, the son with the ping hat on, uh, he's a division, golf, division one golfer, by the way, at the university of South Dakota, he's a senior. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, and that's a whole different story. Golf became a huge part of our life. And, and there's so many great stories on how my son raised money and won awards and did all things for mental health for in honor of his brother who died. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, my son said, how'd he die? Dad drugs. Now this is a 15 year old. Yeah. He knew he knew. And I said, yeah, drugs. And then, you know, I paused I thought to myself, I got to say something impactful. You know, when I asked my wife to marry me, uh, I knew that I'd have moments I call them dad moments and, and moms have mom moments where, where you get maybe four in your lifetime. And these are very big moments where what you say next does matter. Mm-hmm. And I thought and thought and I stood up, cleared my throat and this became, became my marching orders. And it's a chapter in my book called the two roads. And I, I don't know where this came from. I didn't rehearse it, but I'll, I'll say what I said to him. Um, I said, boys, we have one of two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred. We'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves. Or we have a road of inspiration and motivation. And this can be the single greatest moment in our lives and those around us to make a difference. Mm. I'm, on the se- I'm on the second road, and I ask you to join me. And it was important that I framed it that way. I wasn't going to tell them. I wasn't going to you know, tell them what to do. I was going to show them what to do. But more importantly, I was going to frame it as an opportunity that you guys, like Seth had a choice to use heroin that night. You guys have a choice to decide what you're going to do with death now that now that it's in your life. And, um, you know, it sounds heroic and everything. And my two boys did great, but I didn't uh, I didn't listen to them. And for 14 months, I was on the bitter road. Yeah, the one road I told my boys to stay off of. I called my business because I own the company and I said, I'm not coming to work for a year. I need because I was an alcoholic. I didn't tell you guys that, but. It's in my book. Um, since about my senior year in high school, I was a five, six day a week alcoholic for 30 something years. Yeah. There's, there's the book. This one's for you, an inspirational journey through addiction, death and meeting. So for me, it was really important to write the book and have people put it down and feel inspired. So I have to get into the abyss. I tell the story of he di- how he died. There's lots of stories in there of, of struggles that we had, but the book ends very inspirational, very uplifting, very, very positive. And that was really important to me. I didn't want this to be a, a Debbie Downer book, you know. 
Um, and so, you know, I called my company up and said, I'm not coming to work for a year. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I need to work on things. You know, I, I'm just, I can't come in and set up IRA accounts for clients. My wife was really doing bad as well, too. Um, we both were alcoholics before Seth died. But um, and so what happened was for 14 months, I stayed home and drank every day, mm -hmm. um, every day. Uh, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. Uh, it's an odd dynamic, but I just had no motivation. I just called every negative friend I knew in my head and said, hey, come on over. I got a huge pity party. Let's get <laughs> yeah. some beer. You know, let's get drunk. Let's just bitch and moan. Let's let's get mad. Let's let's. And that's what I did for a, a year and a half. And my wife, I just watched her start getting worse and worse. And, and so one night I got, we got drunk down in our condo in Florida that I sent sold. And I looked in the mirror that next morning, it was December 24th, December 17. And I just looked in the mirror and I just saw a dead man looking back at me. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm done. And I quit. I haven't had a drink. I haven't had a drink since. And for me, it's been the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I, I don't struggle. I don't go. I just, to me, it was easy. And again, you bury a child and I, I learned something from that. And, um, alcohol to me reminded me of all that. And so I quit. I know a lot of people can't do that and I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just saying for Jeff Johnston, it, you know, not drinking has been a very easy thing for me to do. Um, but so I thought that me quitting drinking would be a really positive thing for my wife. I thought, you know, prudence, you know, I need to, I need to support her. And, um, you know, here comes death again. Um, it gets really hard for me to talk about. Um, so June 29th, 2021, the day after my youngest son's 18th birthday, my wife died of alcoholism at the age of 46. Oh we're married. God. We're married 21 years. They're right here behind me. My son, that's my wife. And uh, I went from a selfish, capitalistic, greedy male, you know, person to now half of my family's gone. Very, very preventable, very predictable that what happened. And I just mm. got tired of people dying. I just, and so that is what drives me. And I, I'm not, I'm not angry. I have no anger in my heart. I'm not even mad at the person that sold drugs to my son, Seth. Um, there's no time for me to be an angry dad. Uh, I think we can write this ship by being compassionate and empathetic and loving and caring and courageous. And so, you know, what happened from when Seth died to today has been the living undeterred journey. Uh, wrote the book, do the podcast. Boy, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Started the nonprofit. Um, last year, I got an RV and drove around the United States for 95 days with my two boys and a documentary team just, just to talk to humans. I just wanted to go out. We met with 38 nonprofits in 35 states. And wow. I'd never been in an RV at all. I just got tired of sitting home on my computer and liking and sharing and posting things. I just had to get out. So we went out there and we met with people and some of these people like John Schinholzer and honesty and some of the people I met around the country have just been phenomenal. And some of the strangers I met at campsites and fire pits and shopping centers, I, I, I owe them all gratitude for giving me inspiration. So, um, you know, and that's, that's how I met Ashley was I saw a post on LinkedIn and she caught my eye and I reached out to her and she's very gracious. We had a great conversation. I told her about the, the tour and, and bam, next thing you know, we're planning on coming to Florida and 
putting on a good show and trying to change lives. And so, you know, I, I told my kids one day, cause they, they play cards and play poker with their friends. And I said, you know, what I decided to do was to take my chips, put them in the middle of the table. I haven't looked at my cards, but I'll tell you right now, I'm staying to the river. Hmm. I'm staying all the way through. I, I may run out of money. I could run out of time, but I'm not running out of passion. And I want to, I want to do what I can with the time. I, I'm 56 years old. I'll be 57 in two weeks. Um, I want to do, do what I have with the time and the money that I have to try to save lives. So nobody has to go through what I went through again. So that is kind of my story. Um, wow. I've got a lot of other projects. I do the radio show. I bought an hour of airtime. So for six months, I've been doing the living undeterred mental health hour. Uh, wow. it's great. I, I have, I own the hour so I can invite guests. I can, uh, we can talk. Uh, I've had, I've had, uh, John on and honesty on, and it's just, I'd love to get you guys on. I, I I'm all about conversation. Um, yeah. connections big and, uh, we're doing our expo in May going back on tour again. And then this July I'm launching my app and that's where I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I've put a lot of money and time into this and we want to do an app that's going to change the mental health landscape for Gen Z. That's my, that's my passion is kids. I want to, I want to write this ship. The Gen Z is a third of the world's population. And if we don't do something about their mental health, we're going to be leaving them. Uh, it doesn't matter what we leave them. Uh, if they're their if their situation gets worse, it's pretty dire as it is right now. So, but that, yeah, that's my story. And I'm really, I can't tell you, I wish I could reach out and hug you both because I'm so lucky. I'm really am. I'm really lucky to be where I'm at. I'm very grateful to have my health. I'm grateful to be in a pretty good financial position where I really don't have to go to work. I can work on this. This is my work. I know a lot of people can't do that. Mm. I know people that have lost their only two kids to alcohol and they got to go teach class the next, next week. I mean, I I'm lucky from that regard. I have the financial means that I I don't have to go do that, but I don't want to just have the financial means and do nothing either. You know, Amen. I wish I could hug you too, man. Cause wow. Just wow. And I, I love it though. Whenever I can hear a story that's so devastating and heartbreaking like that. And it's, you know, to know that that just became a fire in you, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have done so many amazing things with that fire and you know like you said you got lots of big things coming so <clears throat> they're not you know i i had a podcast i had a guest on this morning and i i was telling uh telling my guests ashley and jason that you know to me seth and prudence aren't dead and mm. when they when i stop talking about them that's when they die so as long as i'm around I'm going to talk about them like they're still around. And a part of them are, um, when Seth died, his daughter was born three weeks after he died. So my son never met his daughter and she, her name, her name is Brighton. And I, every time I see her, I go, I go bright. She's six. And she's just, (laughs) I mean, she's just, she's just so special to me. And, um, I say, Brighton, you brighten my life, you know, and then Mm -hmm. I go get her, her dad's cologne and we, spray she goes to school smelling like a supermodel because i spray her dad's cologne all over her because she likes to smell (laughs) like daddy you know and um i always say where's your daddy she goes in my heart i said well he's in my heart too and so we talk about her dad like he's alive and a lot of people in her family you know they don't want to talk about dad because it's too too bullshit bullshit the more we can introduce kids to death 
and the beauty of life and the respect, you know, the respect relationships now because they can be taken from us quickly. I think the better mental health kids will have instead of we manipulate them and we hide things from them for we think is their own good. It actually creates a child that can't handle things when it happens to them when they get older, when that mom and dad aren't around. So yeah. I'm letting Brighton at six years old very slowly get acclimated to she doesn't know how he died and she thinks he's living in his heart. And that's good enough right now at six, mm. but not at 16. Well, right. So the first, the first thing is like, I have a couple of comments. I want to, the first one is, and it was an overdose awareness event. Um, um, and I made a video. And so I was asking people for submissions and, you know, people wanted to, to give, the video that they're or the picture they're used to giving the one they carry around that was the one that was a lot of times in the funeral pictures and mm. you know the, the suits a lot of times it's high school picture or yeah. something yep. like that and i said i want pictures of do, them doing stuff that you remember them do, something they love to do or with people they loved and i was like ask the people that loved them you know, to make a slide or to give us pictures and say what they want on the slide and we'll make the slide for them. Uh -huh. There was um, this one little girl and uh, her, her mom asked her if she wanted to do it. And she's like, yeah. And she showed the picture of her with her dad. And um, then when it was shown, cause it was, you know, this was during COVID too. So it was, um, it was at a drive-in church and then it was streamed online. Uh -huh. um, she was at she was watching and she's was so excited that her a picture of her and her dad were on there because she never gets to celebrate his life like because of how he died and so yeah by letting kids hear about even though it's we feel like we're protecting them right we're not yeah and it's tough it's 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 dicey it's like that's why i think that word acclimation is a, is a good word is like you kind of slowly introduce the child to that concept and they, they know death. They're not, you know, they've seen pets and grandparents die. And, um, I think, I think kids can handle more than what we give them credit for. And I think this element of society that wants to sh shelter kids and coddle them is just creating a, a huge generation of kids incapable of dealing with the brutality and the unfairness of life, yeah. you know, because it's coming for all of us. I mean, you, death is, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the certainties of life. And, um, but it's nothing to be feared. It's nothing to be angry at. Um, you know, when your time comes, it comes and sometimes it's preventable like it was with my son and my wife. And sometimes it's not like a baby drowning in a pool. Um, mm -hmm. I had someone the other day was commenting about how tragic my story was. And I just said, well, I, I respect the fact that you care, but I don't think it's tragic. Um, uh, tragedy is like i said baby drowning in a pool your parents getting killed by a drunk driver you know a bear eating you as when you're hunting i mean those are those are tragedies but not not alcoholism and overdose those, those aren't tragedies they're unfortunate and they're unnecessary but they're things that were very very predictable and the outcome was preventable and it just right. you know what i'm saying so yeah. i'm not trying to be pragmatic and downplay it but it's like you know let's for me personally i just don't i don't you can say it's tragic and that's fine. I, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I just don't accept it. I just don't think for me it's tragic. Well, and I think that a lot of people don't acknowledge, and this is probably not the popular belief, and I probably should keep my mouth shut. <laughs> that, is, is that 
when people are in active addiction, they're in a lot of pain. Like yeah. that is that is how you cope with that pain, and it's sig- significant pain. Right. So that to me is the tragedy that that people are in such pain, and and so it's you know people that are using drugs are not bad people. Oh, people sure. That, have, that feel deeply and yep. just can't cope with that that feeling, and uh, there's nothing wrong you know those are some of the most empathetic caring people yeah, yeah. you know yeah and um i think it's what dr gabor mate says that all child all addiction stems from childhood trauma and, and anytime you say all that's very that's a tough one to say i'd say probably a lot maybe most addiction comes from some event in childhood um myself i didn't have a bad childhood i grew up in the literal epitome of the leave it the beaver household my dad was a doctor my mom was like magnum cum laude in college and she you know could have got any job and she stayed home and raised four boys and so i i didn't have babysitters i had a doctor dad and pretty much at christmas if i wanted a bike i got a bike you know it's like i i was very fortunate i wasn't as far as i know in my memory i wasn't molested I, i never was hit so i didn't grow up in an abusive situation so my alcoholism came from not escaping anything, guys. It came from my curiosity of exploring and, and my boredom of growing up in small town Iowa. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I'm hyper. I'm intense. I, <laughs> I don't sit well. And I just, alcohol was something that I just felt I wasn't trying to get away from anything. So if my, my alcoholism, I can honestly tell you, even my gambling addiction that I had for 20 years, that, that came from a curiosity of, uh, of of life and a combination of being bored that that's where mine stemmed from but nonetheless i was an alcoholic for 30 years and i had a big huge gambling problem that got me in a lot you know put me in a lot of bad place uh, black places dark places in my mind you know yeah well and i don't think i think a lot of times we we assume that everything is for i'm saying once you get into that hole of you know it's very painful Mm-hmm. to get there and crawling out is very hard you know so whether there was pain before or pain during it's a it's a you know yeah we talked mm-hmm. about that tonight on the show about the different pathways of recovery and how they're just so different for some people and i know like like um you know for example my wife you know um, she didn't want to go to uh, aa meetings you know she just she just didn't want to do it and uh a lot of her reasons and i think aa's changed was it you know, there was a pretty big, heavy, um, reference on God. And, um, you know, we, we weren't really, we aren't religious. And I think, I think she felt like if she went to AA, she was going to be forced to listen to a sermon. And that's not true. I, that was just something that I think, um, some people that didn't like AA wanted to say, I think the whole higher power thing, um, is important. I think I'm very spiritual. Um, and my recovery has a lot to do with spirituality and I get a lot of my, spirituality from being in service, you know, giving to others gives me a sense of purpose, which is a way I can work on my spirituality. Spirituality is your purpose. It's your meaning. It's your connection to the universe, you know? So all that's, I guess, um, I just, I just very curious on what's out there, what's working. And for me as a living undeterred advocate, if I can take that to my followers and share, Hey, guess what? I got this new 
tool to your war chest that when that beast shows up on your front door and wants you to get high or stoned or steal mm-hmm. or lie, you can start slaying that beast with as many arrows as you can. And so abstinence is an arrow, AA is an arrow, exercise is an arrow, avoiding toxicity. So there's so many arrows that we can arm ourselves with, you know, isn't it? Don't you guys think that way? Oh, dude, I'm like super into it. Like I've been doing the way out podcast for over five years and I just started doing this last summer with these guys. Uh, but I love the whole idea of, you know, everybody's story matters. And, mm-hmm. and and that the more voices and perspectives we can bring into the conversation, the more that we can learn and grow. And, and the more we equip ourselves with ways that we can help others, right? So yeah. I want to learn about every angle yep. uh, of this disease as I can. Uh, you know, the family gets sick alongside them. So that that really is a very broad spectrum of uh, different types of individuals. We've had guests from the legislative side, from advocacy, from judges to, you know, people that are barely even a month clean, you know, like mm-hmm. all the way to people who have, you know, walked so many different pathways that, uh, you know, th- my whole goal with this is like, to, to add something of value to the stream of life. And not, not only yeah. that, but I want the listeners, especially, you know, because obviously you can't put all those topics into one show. So, but the people that listen regularly uh, and really take the time to soak up all this knowledge, uh, man, you know, I just hope that they walk away with some more tools for their toolbox. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. That's it. We're such a society of, fear and scarcity that I'm trying to get people to look focus more on love and abundance that, you know, we, we got into this problem over many, many years and we have to get out of it over many, many years, but we're not going to get out of it by judging and, and angry and arguing with people and fighting and pushing agendas. And that's, I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to say we're going to get out of it by just hugging people and telling them (laughs) I I love them. And that that's, that's not realistic either. But I think I think there's more uh, benefit to uh, the default option being love and compassion than the default option being skepticism and anger and those type of things. So, again, I'm not lying. I feel very lucky. I really do. Uh, The time I had them in my life was great. Seth could have died at 15 of a car accident. Prudence could have taken her life at 40. You know, the, the reality the reality is I have two of my three sons still here. Um, I had, you know, just a wonderful experience with my wife, you know, traveled the world and and laughed and yeah, it's hard to see pictures and it's hard to watch videos and hear her voice. And, (laughs) but, you know, like I said today on a different podcast, I said, you know, I cry probably 10 times a day (laughs) and of those 10, maybe two are gut wrenching. But I, I, I ask people this and I ask anyone watching this right now, when's the last time you've had an absolutely gut, gut wrenching cry and felt, <laughs> and felt worse? Right. No, Never. it's cleansing. Never. It's, it's cleansing. Never. Yeah. It's not possible. It's not, it's not possible to go to the gym and have your best workout ever and walk out of there and feel worse. Right. So yeah. why, why do we expect sorrow and pain and grief to be infinite and be perpetual? It's not, it's, it's, it's impermanent. It's not, it's not, it's not permanent. So, um, in in my mind, when I start to feel that way and and that that feeling comes and I'm like, shit, you know, I got to shut things down. I got to cry. 
my lab comes over my dog and he's my therapy. He comes across the room when I'm crying. My other dog could care less. He's a visual. He thinks I'm psychotic, <laughs> but Camus, uh, and that's right. He's named after my famous, my favorite red wine, uh, Camus. <laughs> I know I'm still a wine snob, even though I don't drink. Um, so uh, my, my cat was named Opus, by the way. So uh, my dog's name's bourbon. Okay. There you go. <laughs> he came with lot. that name from the shelter. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I, I laugh at it. I have a bottle of Camus next to my bed. You know, I, I do so many weird things that are not what AA would recommend, but you know, that's my pathway. That's my pathway. Um, a thing I like to do about once every quarter uh, since I'm widowed, I don't, I'm not in a relationship. I, I don't date at all. Uh, this is my marriage. My advocacy is my marriage and my two boys and my dad and stuff. That's, that's my life. But what I like to do, this is not recommended. And Ashley, you're probably going to defriend me after I tell you this, but <laughs> I'm sure I do many weird things too. Don't worry. But when I go out for dinner by myself, I like to look at the menu, get a steak, get a lobster, whatever. And I order the most expensive glass of wine on the menu. Okay. Like a glass of Cabernet and, um, I'll get it and I'll put it up next to my meal and I'll take some pictures. Cause I know I'm going to post on social media and show my friends and stuff. And what I do is I'll have my meal and I'll talk to the waiter or waitress and we'll have a good conversation and I'll finish my meal. And, um, <laughs> they always come over and they'll say, well, Mr. Johnston, you know, thanks for coming. Uh, how was your meal? And I said, Oh, it was great. It was awesome. Thank you. And they said, well, I, I have to ask. How was your wine? Because, you know, I didn't drink any of it. And I just look up and I'm going to say, <laughs> I just look up and I say, I don't drink. <laughs> you could just see, they, they just go, uh, okay. And I can see they go back and they say, you won't believe what. And so what I'm doing is I'm getting them to have a conversation that this guy obviously doesn't drink alcohol, but I'm just showing them that I can put it right in front of me. And right. I am not going to let it win. And that maybe that maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I'm just an, a competitive guy. Maybe I am psychotic. I don't care, but I'll, I'll never drink again. And I, I, I mock it. I make fun of it. It doesn't bother me. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. Now I know, I know many people listen to you. They're not that way. I, I love you no less. It's like, I want to get you to a part where maybe you can become that way. I think our minds are so much stronger than we give them credit for. And um, even if it's a disease, you don't have to believe it's a disease. You can, you can trick your brain. I'm not that smart. So I can trick my brain. Um, and I can convince myself that it is a choice. And I, you know, I'm not going to argue with somebody who says, well, Jeff, it's not there's fine in your world. You can believe it's a disease. Uh, that's your pathway. You know, how's that going for you? Mm. You know, my pathway is not. And if it is fine, I, I don't know. I just, I think the mind is such an untapped tool for mental wellness that we're not using enough. Um, and I think there's a lot of people listening and watching and that, that, that follow my story that say, Hey, you know what, maybe I'll try this approach and I'll just convince myself that it is a choice. And my doctors and everyone that was in my family that was an alcoholic, they're telling me it's a disease. You know what? Maybe they're not right. I don't have to believe that narrative. So, I mean, again, if you're struggling, what have you got to lose? Right. Sorry. <laughs> and my personal belief is that it's, a maladaptive coping skill. Like there might be a disease or a condition underlying why you need to cope, or there might be a traumatic situation or there might be just mm -hmm. whatever, you know? And I think that when you find other coping skills that work, once that dependence factor is taken off, you know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff 
that it takes a little while, like depending on the substance, you know, it's, it takes like a year for, yeah. you know, certain chemicals to start working again and all that kind of stuff. Um, or yeah, and full disclosure, I never did drugs, Ashley. So I never have the withdrawals of methamphetamines or all that stuff. So I, you know, I can't, I can't comment on that, but I just, I'm going solely on alcohol and gambleism. Those are my two addictions that I have. And I quit gambling the same way. I just quit. I just quit cold Turkey. Um, I, I had a friend of mine one time say, you know, the problem with gambling. And I said, what? And he was a, he was a gambler too. He said, even when you win, you lose. Mm. And that, that I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. If I win this bet, I'm just going to go lose it on the next one. Right. And it's, that is so true. And it was a simple comment from another compulsive gambler that said something again, non-pharmaceutical free, no meetings. And it just, for me, it resonated. So maybe one thing I say tonight, somebody says, wow, I, I said something today that somebody said was one of the best things they ever heard. And I didn't, I stole it from somebody I heard on LinkedIn. Maybe you've heard it. Ashley. Absolutely. Maybe you heard this, <laughs> Ashley. Connection is protection. Well, I mean, yeah. if you I look, look at phrase. ACEs, you look at all that kind of stuff that there's protective factors. So it's like people say, oh, you're screwed. This happened. But no, you're not. Like if you put mm -hmm. those protect protective factors in place, you know, same same thing. So community connection is one of those protective factors for ACEs having yeah. sports. I think about it like buffers, yeah. right? Like every single thing I can do is like putting another, like a, another barrier between me and my next use. Yeah. So the, all the different yep. pieces that work for me to keep me in a spiritual path, to keep me feeling, you know, well, right. to keep me in service, the connections that I've made, you know, going to support groups or going to speak. These are all like another barrier between me and the next use. Cause you know, yep. we, we're going to mentally be relapsing way before we get high or drink. And, you know, to your point, Jeff, it's like, if you do the work, whatever that looks like for the individual to heal and, and, move on and find a better way to live. Well, guess what? You can sit with a glass of wine in front of you and it's not going to phase you. I can go on a 12 step call uh, and pick somebody up who wants to, who's seeking help Yeah, and I can get them from the dope house and I can take their dope and I can dispose of their dope. And I don't want to do that shit. I, and yeah. I mean, I, I was like your son, dude, a needle in my arm for, yeah. 26 years so and there's certain yeah. meetings that make me want to use and i i never used any of the drugs they're talking about at them because they're glorifying it right like yeah no, I, no i'm just i'm joking but yeah. um so i have <laughs> a couple questions for you yeah sure so i want to take some of that and see if we can make it help somebody so yeah when you used to have a hard day back yeah. before you what did you do before you stopped drinking I would, uh, so like a hard day at work, um, I would come home typically, um, I would start with a beer, you know, have a couple of beers and, uh, that was my, get a cigar, have a couple of beers and then it would end up to be wine and I'd end my night with, you know, a full bottle of, uh, Cabernet or something. And, uh, you know, I was five, maybe six nights a week. And the days that I didn't drink were like, wow. You know, I, I, like, I shocked myself. Like if I didn't go, if I went two days in a row, I'd go. I just haven't drank in two days. So when you're counting in days and hours and you know, you have a problem, I'm not counting in weeks, I'm counting in days and hours. 
right. that was it. That was the big thing was, was just, um, you know, when I was, when I was having tough days at work, uh, that was kind of what my release was. Okay. So when you had a tough day, you drank. So what, what did you do when you had a good day, when it was a good day or you, you wanted to celebrate something? What did you do? Are you tricking me now? <laughs> no, I drank. I drank. I drank. Okay. So yeah. when you had a hard day, you drank. When you had a good day, you yeah. drank. Yeah. When you had a normal day, what did you do? I drank. Okay. So when you had yeah. a normal day, you drank. Now, when you have a hard day, what do you do? I work out, meditate, and I, um, I read. When you have a good day, what do you do? I work out longer. I meditate longer. And I read longer. When you have a normal day, what do you do? I, I, I do that every day. So... Yeah, I don't miss a day of any of that. You know, that's just that's what keeps me from the abyss. Yeah. So sometimes so your coping skill to cope with a hard day was to drink. When you yeah. had a good day, the way you coped with a good day was to drink. And when you had a normal day, the way you coped with that was to drink. And now you work out and you read and you enrich yourself. So you changed that that coping skill and you mm -hmm. brought a, a healthy coping skill. And so it doesn't have to be an AA meeting. It doesn't have right. to be complete sobriety for somebody. If they use Matt, it doesn't have to be anything that's on paper as this is a pathway. Mm -hmm. It can be literally if you used to come and drink every day and now you go to the gym instead of drinking, guess what? That's great. That's working. Yeah, it's a healthy I, thing. You're living a better life. Double thumbs up. <laughs> I have a quote. I have a quote that's exactly is in line to what you said, and it's on the back of our shirts, and it's kind of my marching orders. And it's purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And you got to say that a few times. Purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. So the point of me telling you that is this: had not had not Seth died, uh, or my wife died, I don't know if I would have given up or not drank. I don't know if I would have stopped drinking. Um, I, maybe I would have, maybe I don't. That's a hindsight game. I'll never know. But that, that traumatic event I had was the impetus for me wanting to quit. Mm. What I'm trying to figure out, is there a way to get that without having the traumatic event? You know, can you get the same psychedelic high, not doing psychedelics? You know, is there ways that we can get this benefit of something without doing the thing? And so my quest, my, my insatiable thirst for knowledge on this topic is how can we get in the minds of specifically kids, Gen Z specifically, that moment when they say, Ashley, you know, you're 15 and you're going to, friends offer you a joint. You know, what's that, that moment, that one thing where some kids say, I'm not going to do it. And some say, I'm going to do it. I know there's a lot of factors. There's not a right answer. And that's my, that's this passion I have in me is trying to figure that out. Now, I don't know this, the road Seth was on, you know, it was multifaceted. It was, you know, depression and body dysmorphia and, you know, alcohol and marijuana. So, I mean, he could have quit drinking and maybe it was something else. I, who, who knows? We can play that game forever, but you know, there are a large subset of kids that, you know, never have done drugs or alcohol. Why? You know, what, what makes them different? They're not any better. They just made better choices. Um, is it nurture? Is it nature? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And that's, that's what keeps me going is trying to find these solutions and these answers. So the next Seth that, you know, is going to make 
what could be a life ending, life altering choice decides not to, you know, um, but not have to wait for something traumatic to happen to do it. You know what I'm trying to say? You want yeah. my, you want my, I'd love to hear it. This? I'd love to hear it. So belonging is a big thing. And I think that, um, when you don't feel like you fit in or you don't feel safe or you don't feel, you know, whatever the case may be, no matter what the reason that's very hard. And when, when, children are raised with that that self-esteem or they or they have a safe place to go and say they messed up how do i right. fix this right um, i think that that creates so that resiliency i think that self-esteem and when they're whatever the factor that gets them to believe that they're enough right i think gets them through some really hard times and i and i think it's I don't know that there's anybody there. There might be people that never try stuff, but they, they struggle with other things. I think it's really get back and get up and teaching people to those social, those social emotional learning techniques that, you know, some kids get from a young age that make a big difference and some schools don't teach them. And some, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that those give an advantage. Um, But I think it's really, something bigger than yourself to a purpose and being a part of something and being feeling safe to be a part of something. You know, it used to be when we were younger and we drank and even kids that did drugs. I mean, nobody died. And today with fentanyl, the, the new paradigm is just, it shifted. There's lots of kids dying that aren't having any issues with drugs and alcohol. Literally it's like their first or second or third time they popped a Percocet. So the goalposts have kind of shifted mid game. And that, again, as an advocate, is something that um, I'm trying to be a little more sensitive to, you know, um, that there's a lot of moms and dads out there that have lost loved ones that never dealt with a four year, five, six year addiction journey. They just their son just literally one pill can kill. And that's really changed a lot of the uh, the the um, the focus is. on. And again, one fear of mine is that everybody rushes to fentanyl and they just you know, their big thing is eradication of fentanyl, weapon of mass destruction. And and drug dealers are so far ahead. I mean, there are already things out there and you probably know better than me, Ashley, the what's on the market now, uh, that's the tranquilizers, things that are stronger than fentanyl, that the drug dealers are going to be ahead of us. They're, they're, they're decades ahead of us, the drug cartels and the, so, you know, do we spend time trying to, you know, spend time on the supply side, make higher laws for people selling this stuff, lock more people up that have drug and addiction problems. Um, or do we create a world where people don't want to use? Amen. That's, you know, that's where Jeff Johnston is going to spend the rest of his life on the demand side. So I, I, I don't, I don't have any tolerance to argue with people, which is better or more impactful. If you want to be a supply side, then so I'm all, I'm all for it. I majority of my advocate friends are supply side. They'd spend all their time, you know, protesting and, spending time doing that. I, I don't have that fight in me. I just don't. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather sit in a room of 200 kids and talk about yep. the why, why do they do what they do? And if they do it, don't punish yourself. We just hope the one time you do it, you don't die. Right. That's, that's the problem today. You're not getting second chances. Like I did. I could, right. pop, I could pop anything at your age and I wasn't going to die today. You can't say that. So, you know, again, if you can make it through the, the random luck of not having fentanyl, that's great. Um, but then again, you know, 
a lot of your peers aren't. And, um, you know, that's, that's the reality. So the demand part is where my heart is. Kids is where my passion is. And I'm trying to do things with my, our curriculum and with my research and with uh, my advocates, we still need the supply side, right? We still need the people fighting the precursor chemicals from China and the drug cartels in the jungles of Mexico. We need all that. I'm all for that. I don't have the fight in me to go down that road. Right. But I think American to your point, man, what's Americans that? Americans are killing Americans. We blame it on everyone else. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, so uh, this, a, a lot of this stuff happened because the pharmaceutical companies and who's the savior that's making a lot of money from the overdoses. So are you telling me that what is China getting out of it? They're, they're, they're not, I mean, it's made in a lab. This is different than like back in the day when it was in a bathtub and anyone could do it. These chemicals, you have to make fentanyl in a lab. Yeah. Um, it's in a hundred percent of the drugs that they're testing on the, the streets. So it's pretty wow. much in everything. Um, and now xylazine's in about 20% is what I'm, and xylazine's been around forever. It's, it's been used for vets. It's, you it's know, it's in 20% it, now. Mm -hmm. They're finding it in about 20% of deaths now. That's terrifying. Yeah. So it's like, um, the thing is, is that, so maybe that was something that was a cheaper thing that's being used, but fentanyl was, I, I part of me wonders if part of it was at the beginning hmm. to get rid of people that they didn't find to yeah. be great in society and that were costing society a lot of money. And then it, it ended up becoming a bigger problem, but I'm sorry, but it's coming in through the mail. It's coming in through the Mexican border. It's coming in through the Canadian border. And I live in Florida and guess where it's coming in. I mean, it's coming in from the ports. Mm -hmm. So we, we blame it on illegal immigrants. We just want to get mad and blame it wherever it's. Yeah. And again, that's that, that's that angry dad that I'm not anymore. You know, and there's, there's enough of them. And like I said, we, I think we need multifaceted nonpartisan type approach. So we need the supply sides. We need the demand sides. We need, we need everything because when Seth died, 46, 46,000 Americans overdosed in 2016 is 107. So everyone knows what fentanyl is, but what's the result? Everyone's more aware. What's the result? Nothing is working. I mean, all the statistics, depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, obesity, everything across the board for the last 10 years is higher. So, you know, this isn't just one thing, you know, we could eradicate every grain of fentanyl on the planet. I don't think anything's going to change. No, the next thing will pop up, dude, they'll find something else. You know? Right. But I think to your point that, you know, just teaching about mental health, coping mm -hmm. skills, this stuff should be part of just regular school curriculum oh yeah you know to yeah. teach kids how to you know live life on life's terms i mean it's all no matter what recovery pathway you're talking about they're all kind of based around certain like you know spiritual truths mm -hmm. you know these principles and if you learn to live your life based around those types of principles that you know life is just better quality wise, you know, internally and externally, it, it really does bleed into every aspect of your life. So why aren't we teaching the kids that? I mean, how much of the curriculum in schools nowadays is shit that you're never going to use in the real world? 
You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they like could most make of it. it. <laughs> yeah. They could make it part of that. And I think, you know, that would help a lot with, uh, but kids are still going to experiment, you know? Yeah. And, uh, if there's any truth to the fact that it's if there's any truth to it being like a disease for some people uh once they start they may not be able to stop you know or whatever but uh yeah i think even if people if it is a disease it's like still so preventable for so many you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. but you're right it'll never go away completely well it's put into this moral failing box that you know Seth had a moral failing. He was a, he was a, a bad kid. He, you know, all the little labels that come on and, you know, and so, and so society kind of, it's getting, I think it's getting better from an awareness perspective, but not from a results perspective. But I think society mm-hmm. is now getting a little bit more understandable that, Hey, this could be any, anybody's kid, right. you know, uh, there is, you know, addiction and substance abuse. They don't care male, female, straight, gay, transgender, white, black, rich, poor, it don't matter. Um, you know, and so that's, I think, but you were going to say something, Ashley. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that sometimes it's not the first time, but it's to me, you never know that we like during active addiction secrets and shame, like no one knew what was really going on with me. And I'm not saying that it's at the level of a dependence for for kids but some of the stories that i hear and and someone's like well they bought it on snapchat it was their first time they ever tried it and i'm like i did substances for a lot of years and i know what technology is and i would not know had i've been on snapchat and i've never seen anyone try to sell it to me no one on facebook's ever tried to sell it to me it was it maybe at a party or something it would being the first time of trying it then yes i could see it but i don't think that you went on Snapchat and you just decided <laughs> to, and that was the one time that it happened. And and maybe that's what makes, that's what the family believes and that's fine, but and maybe um, it didn't go and that's fine too. But I'm, I'm just saying, I think that there's, they, the substances are much stronger. I'm not denying that at all. Yeah, but I think that right. we, we, we play this narrative that it's always the first time. And I mean, that when I was growing up, so many people got pregnant the first time they had sex. Hey, I got, <laughs> I got caught, I got caught shoplifting in sixth grade and they took me down to the police station to scare me. And I told my dad, it was, I told my dad it was the first time. It's like, yeah, yeah. Was, it's first time I got caught. Yeah. Hell yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, but I will tell you this, man, I got, uh, my girlfriend's got an 18 year old daughter and yeah. I've know some other teens, uh, you know, from the, the recovery meetings around here. We got a lot of young people because we got like a lot of recovery in my area. Mm. And dude, the the Snapchats that you know and the TikToks and shit, dude. These kids nowadays are just video recording the whole party. They're, I mean, yeah. they're doing all the drugs on these video platforms, yeah. and they're putting the shit out there. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's like, dude, you're putting that on the internet. I'm so grateful this shit didn't exist. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh my god. Cell phones and cameras. I'd be in jail still. I'm joking. So if but, you were, uh, you know, if you were 16 and you're watching your friends uh, blow massive bong hits into the, you know, camera and shit. And they looked and sounded like they were having so much fun. Maybe you would ask them like, Hey, you know, maybe next time I could come or can I come hang out? You know, like, I mean, so I could see Snapchat being kind of a gateway or any of those kinds of 
platform. Oh, yeah. Facebook and, and Reels, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm saying that, the, that that it's happening at parties and stuff. Is if it's the first time that someone's yeah. trying it, and right, it's right. not happening, that I'm just getting bored and I'm looking online and trying to find. Well, there's. A, I'm happy you said that, Ashley, because I know lots of moms and dads that have lost tragically lost their kids to um, fentanyl that was in Percocet or Adderall, and yeah. most of them. And and again. I'm going to be very careful here because I don't want to offend any of my friends that, that hear this, but most of them, the, imp, the, the uh, implication when they tell their story is my son didn't have a problem. This was his first time. Well, mm. they don't know that for sure. I'm guessing that your 18 year old son, there's many secrets that they have that you don't know, like you did at 18. So I yeah. respect the fact that they think my child is the one that was the only time they tried it but the reality is it, it doesn't matter if it was two seven or the tenth time they're they're, they're dead and that's all that matters right. but the fact is is that i don't think we need to brush it off and say well the other kids are doing it every day my son it was his first time i always told people after seth died that i didn't blame it on seth's peer group seth was the peer group right i mean and it's easy for kids to say oh it's my son hung out with a bad crowd maybe your son was the bad crowd mm. there's nothing wrong with that but this is the conversations we got to have and stop blaming every other, every other son and daughter out there. They're the one that dragged my son down. And know? what does that do? Does well, it, do it doesn't do any good. good. It just passes and, the blame to somebody else. Right. And I'm only saying that because I'm saying that instead of putting resources into mental health and having resources to teach kids how to cope or to talk about hard stuff, mm -hmm. we're fighting to, to take down these dealers that are on Snapchat, yeah. like targeting our kids. Right. And it's like, um, you know what? I'll be a hundred percent honest. I have a 13 and a 15 year old and there are days when I am not the best parent. It's not my fault when they, my kids mess up. I'm not saying that, but guess yeah. what? I get distracted. I don't pay the attention to them. I should, I, I miss things. I overcorrect or I undercorrect. Like I take full accountability that my parenting is not perfect mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my kids aren't perfect. And that's perfect to me. Yeah. Good. Well, you said. know what, you know what though, Ashley, whenever I'm like, when I have a bad parenting moment, uh, <laughs> if I can acknowledge it and apologize to my child or just have a talk with them and explain to them that dad made a mistake, I think that is great parenting. So, so yeah. even when you have a bad parenting moment, you can, you can turn it into like a teachable moment, you know, you know about my, owning your shit. You know, my, my youngest son, Jason told me this because I talked about mistakes and stuff. And he said, dad, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Oh yeah. And I awesome. thought, I, yeah. And that's my 19 year old advising me on, you know, all this <laughs> stuff, but it's true. They're only cemented as mistakes. If nothing is learned. Right. It's a teaching moment if mm -hmm. something is learned. So going back to the whole journey I was on, I went back and played. Should I done this? Should I done that? I didn't do it to punish me. I did it to learn. What was the teaching moment when yeah. Seth was given Adderall? What what did I miss? What should I should I tell people? Not what should I've done, but what should I tell people? So I'm taking all those mistakes that I made as a dad. And instead of anointing them as mistakes by not learning, I decided that I didn't make any mistakes. You know, I dealt with the cards I was dealt at the moment in that frame of mind. And it's only a mistake if I don't learn today. 
going mm-hmm. forwards when I tell my story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, can, I can tell you something. Um, maybe it'll make you feel better. I don't know. Maybe it's just a fact as my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD and we, mm-hmm. we did a lot of the stuff I went through every changing foods. I changed, added exercise. I made sure there was a certain bedtime. I wanted to avoid medication because as someone in recovery, I was very scared to put her on a medication. And so then I did the research and I was, and the research showed that if they were medicated, their chances of, of actually having a substance use disorder later was lower because they were being properly medicated. And so, um, I chose to to use medication for I use a small mm-hmm. dose. We tried everything else until there was really hard to, to I mean, it was really affecting her life dramatically, but I'm just yeah. saying I did all the research and I chose the medication. So I don't know that there's anything you could have done differently. Yeah. But you did, you chose the medication after you kind of did a set of research and you kind of exhausted other ways, right? Yeah. See my, my situation, I just went to medication first. And that's, but even the research shows that the medication actually has less chance of well, that's somebody encouraging. than somebody yeah. not being medicated. So, so yeah, if they're, well, so my problem was I, I handed him the bottle. That was my mistake. I should have just taken one Adderall out, gave it to him, kept the bottle, but uh, I never saw the bottle. He went and we got the prescription. I gave it to him and I just, you know, naive dad. I just, my dad was a doctor. I kind of grew up in that world. I just right. thought he'd self-medicate correctly, but I found out he'd selling it at school and taking double doses. So yeah, I agree with you, Ashley. It's just maybe, maybe my teaching moment is I should have kept the bottle. Maybe that was yeah. the, maybe that's my teaching moment. But I think you'd be surprised how many parents out there aren't familiar with the fact that Ritalin and Adderall are, you know, used as street drugs sold like that and used Mm -hmm. in that way and that they're basically math you know it's it's pretty much just like doing math and you know there's an adderall shortage in the country and you also know that more adults are on adderall than children today wow well and and maybe there's a misdiagnosis too because yeah if you you legitimately have adhd it tends to to calm you down and not speed you up and gotcha and but not if you abuse it though right that's the thing well if you take more than you're supposed to you're gonna get high like i don't know that i assume it i assume i assume no i i know i know that (laughs) because you 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 take it regularly is it therapeutic for you that it's it doesn't i mean why would you take more if it didn't speed you up i'm i'm not on the stuff i'm just saying i've known a lot of people who they they are prescribed it it does mellow them out you know put them on an even keel help them focus all those things that it's supposed to do for if they take the right dosage correct but they get high on it sometime you know they they do and then well i just want to first of all say hi brett (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've seen him i've talked to him on email many times but didn't get to see his his pretty face so isn't he handsome i I apologize so our air conditioner went out yesterday so i had to go get a window unit to put in my daughter's room before bedtime because where are you located brett i'm in texas so we have minnesota texas and florida and iowa covered hell yeah very we got the whole country covered And I'm just asking these questions because I like to learn. I, I love like them. Hear how love it different them. reacts for. Do you have more for me? Hmm. Well, I wanted to mention. So my birthday is Christmas Eve, ah. and I found recovery in 2017. 
on what day? It was in May. Okay, mine was Christmas Eve. Mine was so on that's your what birthday. I'm saying, my birthday. That's and crazy. Yeah. So my my recovery day is your wow. birthday. We were we were destined to meet. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's um and mine is my birthday. My recovery date is my birthday. <laughs> but that was not planned. It just ended up working out that way. <laughs> yeah, I I'm so excited about this space. I really am. This whole this whole, you know, advocacy space and uh the podcasting and what you guys do and the conversations and you know the tour and all the things is just so there's a lot of beautiful things going on and yeah if we can just start converging and doing more work together you know i, th I think we can start to see these numbers go in a different direction i think i saw the other day maybe i was talking to you ashley about this at you know, 825 americans die every single day from the deaths of despair, alcohol, suicide, and overdose, 825. Now, that's a big number. That's a death statistic that the media likes to focus on. But we all know that the collateral damage and the destruction that comes into a family doesn't have to involve death. Uh, right. Millions of families have never had death in her, but their families are destructed and destroyed and decimated over alcohol and substance abuse. So I think as advocates, it's easy for us to focus on the death numbers. Now, trust me, I have two in my family. I can certainly hang my hat on that. But I think the non-death numbers are more important because we can do something about the living. There's nothing I can do about the 825 that died today. But telling the story, collaborating with people, those millions of families that they have Seths in their families, they have Prudences in their families, and they haven't died yet. That's the hope. That's that's why you guys do the recovery revolution. You know, that's why Ashley's active in what she does. And Brett, I don't know you, but I know you an, av an advocate in this space as well. I'm sure you have a story if we talk long enough that would tear my heart out. But uh, that's what's great about this. I'm really excited about this space. I really, really think there's hope for mental health and um, for advocacy, um, not just in America, but in the world. Amen, brother. Brett's the youngest one of of the group here and he's, he's got the longest i'm guessing i'm the oldest well he's got the, the most time out of like the group here like he's yeah. well all of us actually you're he's got the most he's been in recovery the longest and have you? he's got two children that have never had to see their father in active addiction good for you man thank you that's that great. awesome brett yeah, I think I'm it's great. I'm so you proud guys. of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you. it's great what you guys are doing. These formats are awesome, um, you know, and it's um, there's mm. something therapeutic about sharing stories with people. It is, and Jeff, I'm I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for the fact that you are in the financial position to be able to just go and put every ounce of your heart and soul into this advocacy. And, and boy, is it, you know, it's blessed. I don't know if you're, you know, if you, you know, what higher power you believe in, but you know, it's like the God has blessed. It is your ministry, even mm -hmm. if it's not a ministry, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, it's so awesome that you're able to get out there, travel the country, go on tours and that your boys have decided to join alongside you on that path as you put it out to them you know, the fork in the road story yeah. that you said. And I, I'm just so happy that you're out here and you're making good use of that pain and 
and hmm. impacting lives, brother. Thank well, you. thanks. I, I like the way that's put. I think if I can, you know, use my, my, I guess, privileged position to be a voice for those that, you know, have to go to work in the hospitals and have to go teach and have to be a police officer or a fireman or whatever it is. If yeah. I can be, if I can be that voice for them, because I don't have to go to work. I, I I'm really lucky. Um, I think I can do that. I think that's kind of like, I like being a foot soldier. I, I enjoy being in the trenches. Now a nurse is really in the trenches, right. a dad, you know, doing what I do is not in the trenches, but I'm like a line or two behind them. You know, I'm a right. row or two behind them. Um, but I, you know, I don't have any intentions of like slowing down or, you know, retiring. I just, to, to me, that's an antiquated concept. And I just, um, I've kind of like, found my true calling through some really freaking bad shit. But yeah. doesn't that happen to everybody that has a real true epiphany moment? Most of it comes from something very horrific. Yeah. Two you most know? important days of your life, the day you're born, the day you figure out why or find out why or whatever yeah. the quote is, right? Find it your took, purpose. <laughs> it took me, uh, you know, realistically, I'd have to say the day I quit drinking. So I would have been 52. But I like to say the day Seth died was my awakening. And, you know, surprisingly for people, uh, I'm agnostic. I'm not religious. Um, but but I'm spiritual. As anybody here to this moment, I'm as spiritual as anybody. I I, I talk to my dogs. I, I would hug a tree if I could. You know, I'm very, mm -hmm. very spiritual. I just, I, for me, you know, that, that, that higher calling was never like a godlike thing for me. It was more internalized. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, otherworldly, but you and know what, brother, it's all, it doesn't matter. Same. Yeah, I know it's all the it same thing. It, yeah. It doesn't matter. And I find that out through my meditation that, you know, yeah. call it, call it what you want to call it, but there is no me. There's just, we, there's Jason, Brett and Ashley. Amen. And that that's, that's us. And, yep. um, and that energy wife, flows, you know, that energy flows through our, our realm, it flows through the universe. We, it, it's all just known by many different names. That's the way I kind of view it. You know, any, any yeah. belief system, it's the same thing, you know, there's just something beautiful about when you're in a room of people that have, you know, that, that feeling of love and inspiration. It's, you can feel it. Your hair stands up and you yeah. just smile more. It's like, that's all free. That's mm -hmm. out there in abundance and we need to go cultivate more of it, whatever yeah. we're doing, however you do it. Uh, we need to do more of it and in less pharma, you know, less anger, less hatred, less labeling, less diagnosis, less blaming, all that stuff is just not worked and never will. But I think we can, I think we can do a lot of good in just being kinder to people. That's kind of where I've settled. You know, mm -hmm. I just don't have any hate in my heart. I, I just don't get mad a lot, you know, and, um, I attribute a lot of that to meditation, to be honest with you. Meditation's a chapter in my book and I attribute it to really saving my life. I'd never done it before Seth died. I couldn't see myself ever stopping my mind, but I realized quite quickly that meditation isn't that you're not, it's the opposite of controlling your mind. You're just being aware of your mind. You're mm -hmm. witnessing, you're not judging. So I can sit, my mind can race and I have some great meditation and my mind never slows down. Um, in three years, I've maybe only had five times where I can say I actually felt like I left my body, like mm -hmm. I went somewhere, like shot out in the universe. Mm -hmm. I came back and I had loss of time, and I, I thought I meditate ten minutes and it was thirty. That's okay. only happened very infrequently. Most yeah. of my meditation sessions are rather, rather boring, but I do them every day, like 
going to the bathroom, like eating, you know, but if we can get, I think the Dalai Lama said, if he could get every young person to meditate, he could eradicate violence in one generation. Mm. That's how much he believes meditation is so good for the soul and so good for humanity. And I have a hard time. Again, it's another free thing. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. You know, it's like most people in recovery, most people that are really struggling, they don't have a lot of money. They can't go buy a hundred dollar course. They can't go take, uh, you know, they, they can't afford a lot of things. And, and so it's like, what are some things we can give these people that are all that are free? And that's really uh, something that I'm really interested in trying to find out. And uh, yeah. when I find something that's free, I like to promote it out of my on my platforms, you know, right. Or like just even doing this, you know, is like what I was yeah. saying earlier. It's I hope that people walk away having, you know, picked up some new tools for their toolbox, some practical tips that they can start putting into action right now. And that that might benefit their lives in a better way. And that's free. It's all free, right? The best things in life are free. Well, if no one does, I did. Amen. Brother. And that's what I tell when I give a talk. I'll say if nobody here benefited at all today, I know one person did for sure. And that's Jeff Johnston. So yeah. for me. For me, talking in front of an empty classroom, I'm still going to benefit. So there's no zero downside. I, I'm going to walk away from every conversation a better person than I was beforehand. And I thank Ashley. I mean, I reached out to her on LinkedIn. She had no idea who I was. I kind of, I, th I think I, I'm not going to say stalked you, but I think I sent a couple of, <laughs> couple of email or a couple contacts and you replied and we, and I, I just looked at her profile and I thought, well, shit, this is somebody I need to get to know. I mean, she's in a position where she's, she's impacting many lives on a big scale. And, and I want to be around people that are, have a goal of changing the world, you know, and you don't do that sitting at a table by yourself. Mm -mm -mm. Just don't. No, you don't. So I got three new friends in my arsenal and I got, yes. um, yeah, and I love it. And I want to continue this and I want to, you know, have you guys be on my radio show and get you on my podcast and maybe on the tour stop and we, I, I'm going to be in Texas. I'm going to be in Florida and we're stopping at the Hazel Dean Betty Ford already in uh, Minneapolis. You are. So, yeah. Yep. I Dude, I'd love there. to come out. I'd love to come out. There. I may be out there two days. Uh, I'll tell you the date. Um, I'm going to be at Hazel Dean, Hazel Dean on. Um, oh shit. Where is it? On nine, nine 30. Uh, and then I'll be there on 10 one. I think they want me to talk about my app I'm launching uh, for Gen Z. So I'll awesome. be there two days and, uh, I don't know if Ryan, you know, Ryan Hampton, right? Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan. Jason. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's one of my best friends. He's on my board of my app and, uh, he's, he's gonna, I, I, I love Ryan to death. I just think the world of him, and he's, he's one of those beacons of hope and inspiration, but you know what? He's not afraid about, about rolling up the sleeves and getting down and dirty with people that he doesn't yeah. agree with. <laughs> exactly. And I like that. I like yeah. that. But Ryan's Ryan's the one that set up a lot of that. That's how I met Jeremiah Gardner up at Hazel Dean. And um, awesome. how do you know Ryan? Mobilize recovery. Okay. Yep. And Jeremiah's cool, dude. I love I him. Love that guy. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then Brett, you know, I'm looking. I'd like to come to. Uh, I went to Austin last year, and oh, we nice. did a stop. We did a stop at a place called Simple Promise Farms, and the guys got a retreat, a sober house for for adults for men. He takes up to eight and then they, they farm and he takes all, uh, all the proceeds. He takes them to farmer's markets and they raise money. And that's how they keep their farm going is these men come in and it's, it's not free. It, they pay out of pocket 
but all the proceeds they make on the farm, they take to farmer's markets down in Austin and he's doing a great job. And I've met so many really freaking cool people on the tour last summer that changed my life. Yeah. You know, I really did. Well, I, I definitely want to hook up with you, man, when you come up. So yeah, absolutely. And I, all you guys go by your name on all the social media so I can, I already yep. hook up with Ashley. So I, Brett, so you're on uh, LinkedIn and stuff. Uh, I only have a page for the podcast. Okay. And it's, it's, uh, yours is recovery survey podcast Mm -hmm. and you do the way out podcast. Yep. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, but I haven't updated my info or like really used it in a long time, but I think my notifications are on. I would still get, (laughs) if you sent me a message, uh, yeah. Cause I know you can use it kind of as a social platform. It's just, I don't, you know, I don't work in this field. This is all service to me. I don't make a red cent off of any of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, it, it keeps me full, keeps my cup mm-hmm. full. And I, like I said, you know, I just learned so much from all these different guests and all the different perspectives and stuff that I get the pleasure of meeting these people. And it's, it's been a huge, one of the biggest blessings in my life to be able to do these things. And I never would have thought I'd be doing this shit, (laughs) you know? Well, and and Ashley, I was going to ask you, what, what do you see as like the, the biggest challenge right now out there for recovery? Uh, Maybe me Florida, maybe Florida specific, or what's the biggest obstacle that you see? Division. Oh yeah. I think that, I think youth are struggling, like you've said. And I think a part of that is because, um, you know, for, as adults, we're modeling that behavior of divisiveness and fighting and, and not being happy. We're not teaching them mm. how to, you know, like when I got into recovery, I learned how to be grateful for things. I, you know, I, I, I that's one of the skills that I, I was, you know, and, and we're not teaching our kids you know, as a society, not individuals, yeah, right. To be grateful. We're not you. teaching them how, you know, like, and I'm going to tell you, like the honest truth is, you know, I was raised believing that this was the greatest country on the planet. And we were, and, and I'm not saying it's, it's a bad country, but with, with freedom comes great responsibility and we're not yeah. being responsible. Yeah. And we're right now we're not the greatest country on earth, to be honest. And I hope one day we can get back to, you know, that. But if I'm being honest, we're not there right now. And it I, used to be I, you could travel. Like I went to Europe a couple times pre 9-11. And, you know, you could say you're American and it's like you were idolized. And now <laughs> friends come back from Europe and stuff and they almost don't want to tell people they're from America. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. A lot of people have died protecting us in the military and and to see it now you know end up this ways i feel sorry for the people that have sacrificed their lives uh that the respect around the world isn't what it was what they died for you know that's very unfortunate we spend almost the most in in, in health care we spend the most on schools and we don't have the healthiest nation we don't have the most edu- educated population we don't have yeah like we used to have like all these things that i were not we've fallen and and it's you don't have to be the best but if you're gonna spend the most money you should be at least up there (laughs) no i agree yeah but again 
Gen Z is a large uh, generation. They're, they're the third. They're the third of the world right now. There's 70 million Gen Zers in America. They can so, be helped though. They've got that's they've what I mean. a bad shake, but if you meet some of them yep. and talk to them, they they get it. Well, the good news is they're the first generation ever to have the number one's New Year's resolution be mental health. And oh, yeah. and thirty seven percent of Gen Zers, uh, I think thirty seven percent of Gen Zers or what's the statistic had mental health treatment. In other words, they acknowledge that they need help and they're getting help. But the problem is, I don't know if the help they're getting is actually the help that is working. Right. You know, that's the disconnect. Uh, right. Getting help and having actually getting help that's changing behavior and helping is is not linear. Yeah, we need to teach wellness and give people tools for wellness. Yep. And that's where we're missing it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I would love, I loved that question you asked, Ashley. And I'm going to give you my, my opinion on that as well. So what Jeff had asked is what you thought was the most, uh, what the biggest barrier barrier to recovery. Yep. and I, I loved your answer, Ashley, the, you know, division, because as Jeff said, the opposite of addiction is connection. But I think it's ourselves, right? Like we need to get out of our own way mm-hmm. and stop thinking that we can fix stuff on our own. Uh, the biggest thing that I learned in recovery, the best thing was that I don't know shit mm. and I need to. If I'm not being open and authentic about my struggles, you know, as well as my successes, all that stuff, then I'm cheating myself because, yeah, maybe sometimes I can get on here and I can say something that's going to impact somebody else's life or help them out. Mm. But but at the end of the day, sometimes I got to be the service opportunity. Sometimes I'm the one that needs help. And I think a lot of people, especially it seems like the smarter you are the more of a liability it is like, uh, Mm. you know, like I've seen the most amazing people that don't make it out of this stuff alive because they're, you know, their, their brain doesn't let them concede. It doesn't let them ask for help. They think that they are smarter, better, faster, stronger, and they're not, you know, we're all human. We all need help. So I think that we get in our own way and I see it a lot out here in the trenches with, with the newcomers, with the people that are seeking um, where it's like, man, just get out of your own fucking way. Well, and Jason, the advocates too, look how many advocates struggle with their own mental wellness because they're so giving and they're, they're putting out everyone else's fires and they get home oh, yeah. at night. They get home at night and they're like, who's putting, put out my fire. You know, it's caregivers fatigue, man. Yeah. That's a big problem. It's and a I real think, thing. Yeah. Hey, that think, sounds familiar, Ashley. <laughs> yeah. She's you guys have had this discussion before I take it very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's a big deal. Uh, I think there was a recovery and maybe you know who this is, but there was a lady that ran a recovery center that took her own life last year and she was fairly well known. Um, I think John Schinholzer sent me the link um, and I don't remember who she was. Maybe she was in that area, but she actually ran a recovery center and she was in recovery and she was like the face of the organization and she took her own life, you know, and I have to think it's a lot of, she didn't, there wasn't anybody there for her, you know, 
And sometimes you get so like you see it in the the people, so you want to help them so much, but it's you don't ever take the time to work or to address yourself and. And I don't know what works because like for some people they're like, oh, self-care. And I'm like, the worst thing you could do is is put me on vacation for a week and not <laughs> let me talk to like that, yeah. like, or, yeah. you know, like I, when I get tired, I, I do pretty much, you know, I sleep for a long period of time, but I don't sure. sleep enough during the week because I have so much passion or if I'm can't sleep, then I'll get up and work or do whatever because I'm not just going to lay there and let my mind, I'm going to be mm -hmm. tired in the morning anyway. I might as well get something done, but I don't even know where I was going with that, but I'm just saying for me, it's sitting would be like torture. Um, yeah. And so we have to find a, a, you know, that middle ground and that awareness, you know, like being aware and being able to say, okay, I need to, turn my phone off today and and not listen to anything even though I do care deeply but this is what I need to do for me having that the ability to do that is important I think at some point yeah yeah you guys probably see a lot of different things through your shows and stuff and talking to people like like I do and it's it's um I think the encouraging news is that there's just so many so many right ways to do this recovery thing uh, there's more right ways than there are wrong, hands down. I mean, I could write down 50 things that are optimistic, positive, you know, things that you could do in your day. And, you know, there's only a handful of wrong decisions, you know, drinking, drugs, lying, stealing, cheating. I mean, that's about it. You know, there's, there's not, there's not like a hundred things you can do wrong, but with, there's more options to do things good. And I think if kids knew that, so they don't feel like they're painted into a corner or backed into a corner that, you know, I don't have any choices. Like you have lots of choices, you know, just what you eat, go through an average day and just write down and you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked how much sugar you put in your body. And that if you have attention deficit, well, what do you think sugar is going to do? You think that calms you or excites you, you know, and I've got, I know friends that I know a friend of my son's that is on attention deficit, like meds, like he takes these things. And he comes over here and drinks, you know, like 400 ounce Mountain Dew. And his thought is like a statin is for cholesterol. Well, if I take my statin, I can have pizza. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, just cause you take Adderall or take whatever for your attention deficit doesn't mean you can load your body up with sugar because the Adderall, whatever offset it's like, and that's, you know, that's just, um, some things that I kind of see when I watch when I observe, you know? Yeah. That's just abusing your body. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. I think it's, I think you, sometimes you know that you're doing it and you still do it anyway. It's not a big deal. I'm only doing this once and then it becomes an everyday I'm drinking this Mountain Dew and whatever. I don't drink Mountain Dew, but I'm just saying yeah. there's plenty of things I do that are bad. Don't you worry. Right. I don't yeah. drink coffee. I don't smoke and I don't drink Mountain Dew, but. You don't drink coffee? How the hell do you do that? You don't I either, Jason? Like, no, hell yeah, I drink coffee. I like snort I'm, coffee, I'm, man. I was shaking my head, so I'm thinking, how are we I just friends? poured down my mouth. <laughs> well, I, I switched to decaf now. I go I go one full strong one, I do half and half, and then I do decaf. And that's like all before like 7 a.m. 
know, and then I'm done with caffeine the rest of the day. But yeah, I have to have one good shot to start cool. my day. Yeah, I used to drink Diet Coke like I was going out of business. I don't like coffee. I don't like the taste of it, the smell of it, any of it. Um, but I, I tried to get rid of it. I, I think it's been about three months now since I stopped drinking Diet Coke. But I've had like maybe five or six in that three months. So I do allow myself here and there, but for the most part. Hey, this comment by Faith is pretty cool. Um, you know, I, the first part, you can speed through that, but then I'm now a huge animal advocate for all animals and captive big cat crisis. It's like that's, you know, purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. So she pivoted. She found something to really dive into, and that's beautiful. That's great. You know, that's that's what advocacy, that's what recovery is all about, you know, finding, finding another uh, something you can really – be in love with. And I think that's awesome. Um, I think most people in recovery, if you talk to them, they've gravitated to do something to replace the drinking and the drugs that they did, or at least that, that would, that would be the plan, right? To find a replacement. Purpose, yeah, something bigger than yourself. Right. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And good make job, sure Faith. you still get gratification from it. I mean, there's a, it feels good to serve somebody else. It feels good to give back. If you find one day it's not feeling so good anymore, maybe that's a time to, to reevaluate. Maybe that is you're at that place where you're burnt out and you need to focus on you a little bit. I, I don't know what that looks like for each person. I, I don't know the right answer. So don't listen to me, but I do think uh, she says, I'm crying, happy tears, listening to you mentioning me. No, I love it. Faith. I mean, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't love animals and kids? It's like, those are the two things. If you don't know, if you don't have a passion. You, know, you just, you don't, you don't really have things. Animals and kids. <laughs> it's always a default option. It's like, you can't go wrong. Right. There you go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I have three pets. They're all rescues. I feel good about it, you know? Um, but yeah, if you, if you don't have a passion and you want to kind of make one up, you know, there's always going to be animals that need homes. There's always going to be kids that need love that lost their dad or mom or whatever. Yeah. And, um, that's always, always going to be there. So I tell everybody that doesn't have a passion though. Those are good ways to start, right. you know, um, Absolutely. that's great faith. Congratulations. Go faith. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a blessing having you on here, Jeff. I, you, you're I love awesome. it. I could talk. I love, I love, I mean, I really do. If someone once said, you know, God, Jeff, do you like talking about this chaos and misery and pain? I said, well, I don't know if maybe likes, not the good word. I feel, I feel honored to have the privilege right. to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a day if there is an afterlife, there'll be a day I'll see my son and my wife again. I'll see my grandmother and my pets that died and I'll see everybody else. And if there isn't an afterlife, then I have to make this heaven on earth today. And I got to do the best I can because this is all I got. So it's like a win-win, no matter what your thoughts are on what happens when you're gone. Um, this shouldn't preclude you from being just a really good, damn good human at the bottom of the day, you know? And so I live every day trying to make this heaven on earth. And, um, that's my, that's my thought process. And I'll get double rewarded. If there's an afterlife and I see Seth and Prudence, then well, hell, I, I'm seeing him now when I'm alive and I'm going to see him when I'm dead. So I can't lose. Amen, brother. You know, it's yeah. all perspective, but yeah, I've been honored to be on the show. I really want to continue this at some capacity. So 
when I do my podcast, I've never done a multiple podcast. So I want to throw it out, you know, standing invitation, um, you know, to, to any of you three that want to be on the show. Um, I'll do it. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Awesome. And Ashley, I think I did I already invite you yet. I don't think so. Okay. Just um, on your, I, I was a call in person on, on your call in show. Yeah. And again, I, I can't believe you set this up and I, I forgot. <laughs> so no, I ran home from the studio. I'm telling Brett, I was like, man, I got a studio. I got to come home. And I ran in here and I got online and I see, I saw Ashley and I didn't see your face. And I thought, well, hi, Ashley. Hi, I'm Jeff. And, uh, yeah, I, I know who you are. Like, oh shit. <laughs> we were in a meeting earlier. Yeah. It's like, I should have recognized your voice, but um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm seeing too many people. That's a good problem. Um, hey, yeah. Right. First world now, problems. <laughs> you guys are great. I, I've been, it's been great to come into your world tonight and I'm happy for all the comments and I'm really proud of everybody that's, uh, that's in the good fight with us and, um, whatever your way is the right way. And, um, if you have a way that works, share it. Don't, Amen. don't brag about it. Don't be judgmental. Just share it, yep. share it. And you I know? think you asked, you asked me, what did I think was the biggest barrier or hold up to care? And, and I'm going to give you the opposite of that. What is the solution? And the solution is having conversations like this where we talk about mm. the solution. There's not just one. And, and when you you don't talk about problems all the time without talking about a solution. And this is how we change the narrative is showing that there's solutions and yeah. talking about ways to make them, you know, everybody able to access them all. Couldn't have said any better. That That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, thanks so much. And, uh, I honestly know we'll continue these conversations, you know, down the road. So absolutely, um, man. Pleasure again, meeting I, you. Yeah. So I'll for sure see you in Minnesota and then Brett, I'll figure out where you live and figure out in Texas when we're going to be going through there. And then Ashley, let's make Florida the best stop. You know, let's, let's make it real impactful. Um, you guys have any other questions for me? I, I like I said, I could keep going forever, so I'm not trying to end the show. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, Brett, you missed it. it this is his third podcast today. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and and my and my one hour radio show I did. God, your butt's got to be sleeping. You know, <laughs> tomorrow's a fairly light day. I think I have three uh, total, and then I no, I have a rotary presentation I got to make via Zoom for like a hundred presidents in District six thousand in Iowa here. But yeah, so it's like, but why not me? You know, why not? It's amazing. You know, I, oh, I've done it. I've, I've done it. I've done a few shows in one day before and yeah, it's a pretty long day sitting at the computer for me, but I'm, I'm not used to, I don't work on computers. I'm like, uh, I can imagine what Ashley's day are like. I mean, yeah. the, the group that you run, how many people you oversee, it's gotta be, it's gotta be, uh, intense at a minimum. I got off my ping job at five and i've had a meeting at five wow. six seven seven thirty and then this one at eight thirty uh well i i love you i think i think it's awesome we need more ashley's and, and we need more brett's and jason's but faith wants to know yeah faith i can be followed i don't know if you want to type this in um i don't know how to add my website um it's pretty easy it's just yeah there you go www.livingundeterred.org and um that's where my podcast is uh you can each reach me email me whatever you want to do um but yeah that's that's the the best place to to learn more um 
but yeah, let's uh let's plan on reciprocating this. Um, maybe I'll try to ask my editor if there's a way to get multiple guests on. I'd be kind of I kind of like this format to be honest with you. Well, you know, I think to to your point, like it's good to have the one on ones because yeah. then you can really deep deep dive mm -hmm. into that individual. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, for future reference, and we've done it quite a few times on the way out, and it's a weekly thing here, obviously, but just to have like random panel discussion episodes where maybe you delve into a certain topic or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that, as opposed to, you know, somebody sharing their story. Uh, and Faith, you can find me, uh, you can look me up on any social platform by my name and uh, you'll find me. And you also have the Recovery Revolution on your shirt, recovery-revolution.org. <laughs> org. Yeah, I I want to get the recovery revolution on our platform somehow. So whether it's um, you know, a link or we could spend a whole podcast just on the recovery revolution, you know, or even have you call in my show. A couple of you got a couple of you could call in. We could do one show for an hour on what recovery revolution is, and you know, we want an hour and a half today. It's like shit. An hour will be nothing for us now. Right, yeah, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm like cake. you, you know. I just love to talk and talk recovery. I have them goosebump conversations, and yeah. it's like every I day. Lost. I get lost in it. So. It, it helps. It's I like a mental. Talk. It's like a mental workout, you know. It's awesome. We could go for two or three hours. I mean, I didn't even hardly talk at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to learn more about your situation, <laughs> Brett, because everyone has one thing. I will tell you that I was going to ask. You know, if you guys ever address this or if you ever thought about this, you know, consciously that you just haven't shared with people. But I think there's the risk in uh, our space as advocates in what I call grief comparison in that, you know, I'll share my story with somebody and maybe their worst thing is their cat died. And instantly they're like, well, I can't compete with what happened to mm -hmm. Jeff. So my pain should not be justifiable mm -hmm. because I didn't bury a child. My kids are still alive. I didn't lose my wife. But as an advocate, I'm like, you know what? That's not true. That's, 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 I, I'd like to be able to talk you out of that perspective because right. if, if the worst pain you have in your life is the worst pain in your life, then it's the worst pain in your life. And that's all that matters. Yep. Yep. That's all that matters. And, and here's the thing, man, your grief grief. story, you, yeah. your story matters. You know? Right. And that's pain shared is pain divided. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I always tell people when I see them doing that. Uh, you know, I think I struggled with that a bit when I was first starting my recovery. Right. You know, and and I also had like some survivor's guilt a lot of the oh yeah. A lot of the time. Yep. But you know, it's like I went through that to to accept the fact that, you know, God God kept you here for a reason and and to to be open minded enough to and and like brave enough to say yes to opportunities that arise to share your story because you can impact people and then you know that's you can't you can't just hide in your shell you know because then yeah. you're just gonna get sicker because of that stuff and it's gonna grow and get stronger but if you just talk to people about it man it just kind of all withers away and it's like oh do you think sometimes kids one of the reasons why they keep things inside is that they feel like mm. mom and dad won't understand because 
you know, what I'm going through seems, seems like I shouldn't be going through it. Like maybe it's something like a pimple, you know, they're, they're literally suicidal over something like that. And they can't, they can't talk about it because they framed it as being so inconsequential. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't maybe know. they see mom and dad are so stressed. I don't want to give them another problem. Oh yeah. Good point. And I yeah, know that my kids like very their true. stuff is like, even like it absorbs their whole world when, when something happens and I, you know, I yeah. allow them, I'm like, you telling me it's not me not knowing is what's ca mm. what causes chaos. It's or causes stress for me. You telling me what's going on and giving me the ability to help you <laughs> or to, to talk about it with you is, definitely easing my burden and but that's a lot of times what they say to me is well we know you're stressed we don't want to add more stress or hmm. right I, I yeah i didn't think about that my sons are 19 and 22 so they're a little bit older than yours but i go back to when they were that age um yeah you're right i think i think because that was a time when i was going through a lot of real big stress in the family um then i ran the risk of being neglecting their needs you know and um, again, that's a teaching moment. That's a learning moment that I can share the story with other parents with young kids saying, hey, when you're going through your own shit, don't forget. So are your kids. And, you know, adults are the ones supposed to help kids, not kids helping adults. Right. So we need to put our things on hold, help our kids and then help ourselves. But um, anyway, yeah, it's it's um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack, right? Well, what's funny though is when you're sitting in your own problem to the point where you're neglecting your kids or yeah. anybody for that yep. matter, uh, you're just being very self-centered, even if it doesn't feel that way. It's a it's it's a form of self-centeredness. And uh like I don't know about you, man, but when I am being attentive to my kids or my spouse or my friends or whatever it gets me out of myself. So it in turn makes me feel better than I did before because I'm not sitting there dwelling in my own shit. You know what I mean? Um, Speaking don't, of kids, don't mind. I just got to let you guys go. Yeah. I got to take mine to bed. I, I take, <laughs> it was great. I'm going to take a quick picture of this because I want to do put a post and say, I had an hour and 42 conversation that felt like 15 <laughs> seconds. So yes. Uh, yeah, that's great. We can, we can wrap this up uh, again. Thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to, you know, reaching out, uh, probably do some stuff this weekend, maybe send you some links and then we can get yeah. you on the podcast and move from there. And then, um, again, thanks. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Bye Ashley. Bye. That's, that's thank you. Paul. Yeah. Thank thanks you Ashley. Coming. Yeah. Thanks a lot. appreciate it. Bye-bye. Stick okay. around for a second, Jeff, so you can yep. plug your stuff here when uh, Brett the Maestro starts doing this. Yeah, I, don't yeah. Know, I came, I came ready. <laughs> the yeah. DJ. I'm not ready. All right. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, please be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we go live, which is every Thursday night. Hey, Jason, you want to tell us about your podcast? Sure do. I co-host the Way Out podcast with my good friend Charles. We switch hit the interviews. Uh, we do the topic episodes together. And it's just we share powerful recovery stories or unpack uh recovery power topics to help you find or jumpstart your own recovery and then we also have the way out playlist same logo 
the just change just change the last word when you type it into playlist instead of podcast and that's a curated list of all of our guests songs that symbolize recovery to them it's exclusively on spotify sorry if that's a problem but yeah check check it out <laughs> love it i also do my own solo Ooh. podcast um which has been dubbed as morsels of recovery by charles from the way out podcast i do about 30 minute episodes new episode every wednesday and lc who could not be with us tonight also does a podcast recovery soul food check that oh, yeah. out and it's only uh, about three weeks old at this point but recovery revolution podcast network i believe we're up to 25 or 26 shows in total that have now all come together and we're trying to spread the message of hope and recovery and boost each other and guest yeah. spot and promote hmm. and all that kind of cool stuff so check that out uh if you go to recovery-revolution.org there's going to be a page a little podcast tab that has everybody listed and you can click on the pictures of the different album art and stuff to go to different shows and it's really hmm. cool so be sure to check that out and we also release this live broadcast as an audio version podcast so if you're if you're subscribing to all these other shows look for this one as well yeah. usually i get it up about an hour or so after this finishes and um i think that's a man i think that's about it nope you got it oh yeah jeff show stuff. jeff stuff <laughs> I'm a yeah, jerk. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't scroll down far enough. You jerk. <laughs> like, so no, I didn't call you. That was repeating what Jason said. Yeah, that's not, I'm just, that's not I'm what ready. I think. I'm yeah. ready. I have, yeah. I have several things ready to go. So no, that's all good. I mess with him. That's all good. Um, yeah. So yeah, Playful I mean, banter. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, so most of everything I have is at just livingundeterred.org, and then. We have another website, livingunattered.com, that is highlighting the tour that we did last summer. So basically either one of those, uh, org, And our book is for sale. Uh, all the proceeds go to my nonprofit, which is called The Living Unattered Project. That's my book. That's actually a picture of Seth, and that's a real photograph he did on our porch when he was probably about eight or nine, the rainbow. With, with the rainbow behind Yeah, him. and what's funny is, there was a rainbow in our backyard last summer and I took Brighton out his daughter that, you know, like I said, he, Aww. he never met. She died or he died. She died. She was born three weeks after he died, but I took her outside with the rainbow and I said, Hey honey, put your hands up in the air and smile. And you won't believe it. She did it. And her tongue hung out the same way mm. as her dad did. She's never seen that picture. Wow. Oh my God. It gave, it gave me absolute chills. Her tongue hung out on the same side. <sighs> And I took you it. Just and gave I, me chills. Yeah, and I, I posted it. I posted on on all my social media side by side. It was one of like the most viral co things I ever posted. Um, it just wow. it was really kind of just a beautiful Powerful. moment. Yeah, yeah. And then you got a podcast too. Yeah, the podcast is surprisingly called "Living Undeterred" with Jeff Johnston, and what? I just uh, yeah, shocking. <laughs> um, so for three years, I've just been finding stories of resilience, and you know. People survived sex abuse. I've got, you know, I've got men in their fifties that have come out that they were molested, that we've spent an hour talking about it. Um, women molested. I've got alcoholics recovery. I've got, you know, suicide attempts. I've got, you know, just stories of just complete uh, resiliency. And, and that's what the living undeterred, 
my movement is, I guess, or my brand is that, you know, things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. no matter what, even death, death can be something that happens for you. You know, my, ther my therapist was the first person that ever taught me that uh, human beings all have the innate quality of resilience. Yeah. And that was a great comfort to me at that time because I was still not sure if I could ever be a functioning member of society. Right. <laughs> you know, because I, no, I, I, I thought I did too much damage to myself back then. So. Yeah, we're we're very resilient as species and we don't take advantage of it enough and just the mental resiliency is underplayed and certainly the physical is too. We don't work out enough, we don't eat healthy enough and yeah, we we have a lot to we have a lot of upside. Uh, our 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 species has has a lot of upside. Yeah. Totally, man. Oh, man. Good stuff, brother. I'm going to sleep good tonight. I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> uh, tomorrow I have a little bit lighter day and uh, my son's coming home for the weekend. I'm going to be chilling. We're going to go watch some basketball this weekend. And uh, the Iowa women play tomorrow and they're, I don't, you haven't seen Caitlin Clark play yet. You have to, she's like the Steph Curry of female women's basketball. Um, uh, it's going to be fun. So nice. Oh, all right, guys. I love you both. Love you too, man. Thanks for being here. Super awesome. My pleasure. We'll be in touch. Okay. Take care. Peace. All right. Good night, everybody. We will be back again next Thursday night with another great guest at our normal time, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. Remember, guys, progress, not perfection. Recovery Revolution Podcast Network.